Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website www.exchangechurch.org.au. Okay, we are now going to move across to our talk on Genesis. So if you've got your Bibles, you can go to Genesis 41. Sharon's just uh, so excellently read Genesis 40 for us. We're going to pick up the first 13 verses in uh, Genesis 41, and that'll help fill out where we're going. Actually, before I get there, I forgot my introduction. That's no good, is it? I wrote this introduction, I didn't do it. Anyway, let me set the scene for us before we go to Genesis 41. Let me set the scene for us. I got so keen to read the Bible, I thought if I got, hey, I've got my introduction here. Anyway, think about this person here. It's sort of relevant somewhat to the USA elections we've had recently. Uh, This one's uh, Abraham Lincoln, and it's a path to power for him, which was a very difficult path for Abraham Lincoln back in 1860. Uh, He is the 16th president of the USA, But in 1832, prior to his leading up to this, uh, Abraham Lincoln lost his job. In 1833, Abraham Lincoln failed in business. In 1835, Abraham Lincoln's sweetheart died. In 1836, Abraham Lincoln had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, two years later, uh, Abraham Lincoln was defeated as the Speaker of the House. In 1843, Abraham Lincoln was defeated for nomination for Congress. In 1848, Abraham Lincoln lost renomination again to go back into Congress. In 1849, Abraham Lincoln was rejected for the land officer's position in the USA. In 1854, Abraham Lincoln was defeated for the US Senate. In 1856, He was defeated for the nomination for the vice president. And in 1858, again, he was defeated for the US Senate. There's a whole lot of setback there in the life of Abraham Lincoln. But in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected the 16th president of the USA. A remarkable path to power through a whole range of setback and I'd say character building Uh, circumstances in his life. Uh, Today as we look at Genesis 40 and 41, we're going to see a picture here of Joseph going through a really difficult journey of life. But what we'll see here though is God preparing him for a role of power that will save him and also his family and eventually the nation of Israel as well. So now let's go to Genesis 41 and we're going to read the first 13 verses there. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Sorry, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. 
And behold, after them sprouted seven ears thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offences today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Lord, we thank you again that we're able to come this afternoon and open up, uh, Lord, your living and eternal word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would come and uh, open up here what is taking place in Genesis 40 and 41 as we trace the life of Joseph, as we see him go through, uh, Lord, amazing struggle and amazing trial. But, Lord, we understand and we know that you're working through Joseph's life uh, to fulfil your purposes Prepare him for a role that he will play in your uh, glorious salvation story. And uh, in that way, Lord, we ask now that you would help us to find ourselves also in this story too. Uh, Lord, we ask that now, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we are stepping through the book of Genesis, if you're joining with us for the first time. And currently we are in the very long narrative here of Joseph with God's purposes um, being and plans being outworked through Joseph himself. Uh, it's an epic story when you think about it. It's a story of perseverance. It's a story of injustice. It's a story of hatred. It's a story of immaturity. It's a story of heartache. It's a story of hope and of blessing as well. Now, God's written this story and God directs this story for his glory and our good as we read through this. And if we care to see it and think about what's taking place here, God is all over this Joseph narrative right here, all over it in strength and in blessing and in transformation in his perfect timing and in God's perfect way as well. As we think about this section today in 40 and 41, our big idea will be this, that a God-centred life will produce humility and an ability also to thrive in all situations. A God-centred life will produce humility and an ability to thrive in all situations of life. So if we kick this off and think about where Joseph was at the start of chapter 40, where Sharon read that for us before, Joseph is probably in um, his early 20s at this time. Maybe maybe middle to late 20s. Uh, In the prime of his life, you might say, but rotting away in a prison and forgotten by everyone around about him. And by the end of Genesis 41, by the end of the... So just the chapter a bit later, Joseph is the second most powerful man in the superpower nation of the world of that day, Egypt. So that's a very quick transformation, you might think. It's a picture of going from powerless in prison to becoming powerful and the second most powerful position in the nation of Egypt. Now, God is the prime mover here in all of Joseph's life, in the good and the bad and the really, really ugly, and there was plenty of that that Joseph goes through. God is behind it all, using it for his glory and Joseph's good at this particular time. 
the journey of Joseph is a long one and it's a difficult one. It starts back in Genesis 37 with hateful brothers who, with Joseph at about 17 years of age, they have him sold as a slave into Egypt. And as we saw last week, Joseph goes into Potiphar's house when arriving at Egypt and there he escapes uh, the seductive temptations of Potiphar's wife while he's in that house, only to be framed by her bitterness now and then unjustly sent to prison, which is why we see him there. And that's exactly where we find Joseph today at the start of Genesis chapter 40. Now we also see there in Genesis chapter 40 verse 1 that it says, sometime after this. Now if there's one thing we don't quite see sometimes in the Bible as we read through, well, we sort of just think one thing just flows on behind the other. Like this happened last week and this happens next week. Well, not quite here with this one. This sometime after this probably means eight to ten years later. It's only a few simple words, but we're we're actually thinking about eight or ten years. That's a long time sitting in prison, accused of a crime of which he never did. That's a long time where Joseph could potentially get very bitter about life and ask this question, what are you doing here in my life, God? I've been sitting in this prison for eight or ten years now. But we never actually see Joseph respond or react like that. There's no bitterness there with him at all while we see in prison. He's in prison, he has two jail mates, and these guys have dreams. Uh, These guys are in despair because they can't work out what their dreams are. And that was a big thing back in that day. You have a dream, there must be some sort of interpretation for it. And they can't work out what these dreams are about at this time. Joseph, being a caring guy, even though he's been in prison for nearly a decade, says, tell me what's on your mind. I don't like to see you troubled. Because God is the one who interprets dreams. They share their dreams with Joseph and he correctly interprets them. Uh, One's a good interpretation and the other's not so good. The uh, cupbearer is restored to his office and the baker is hanged. And he tells the cupbearer, who gets a favourable interpretation, because three days later the cupbearer is removed from prison, he says, on his way out, please remember me when you get to Pharaoh's throne. Get me out of this pit. Please remember me. Well, as we saw, the cupbearer leaves prison and he forgets all about Joseph. He's so glad to get back to Pharaoh's position, he just forgets all about Joseph. And we get to Genesis 41... And another two years has gone by while Joseph again is still suffering in this prison, still rolling all these things around in his mind. Now this isn't a wasted journey for Joseph. It's not a wasted journey for him at all. Now some may sit here and say, what the heck is going on when you read all this about Joseph? Betrayed, booted out of the family by his brothers and now 10 years in prison for a crime he never did? Some would say, what a waste, what a waste of your life. As God writes and directs this journey of Joseph, he's taking all of these circumstances that Joseph's going through and he's using these, as it were, to refine and to polish the character of Joseph and to produce a man here in Joseph who is God-centred through and through. Taking all of these circumstances and times and doing that. Because if we go back to Joseph, when we see him at sort of 15, 17 years old, back in Genesis 37, he's received some dreams from God at this time. What we see of Joseph at that time is a young, immature guy, a bit of an upstart, a bit brash. 
And that's what he does. He boldly and brashly goes and shares his dreams of rulership over his family, that everybody's going to bow down to me. Joseph's not real sensitive here about what he's saying to his brothers. He's a bit brash, he's a bit bold, he's a bit sort of lacking wisdom. He's lacking discretion. He's lacking sensitivity at this time. He's lacked the experience of life, as it were, through all of its ups and downs to shape him and mould him. You see, if he's going to be this ruler that God wants him to be, Joseph's going to need to mature. He would need to understand hardship and suffering to be able to sensitively lead through all of that, lead through that challenge. Joseph will have to learn what life is like going through all of its ups and downs to be that leader. And throughout this journey, this is what Joseph would have learned, to lean upon God when all of his circumstances were telling him God's not there. Like when he's betrayed by his brothers, he could be thinking, where are you, God? Or like when he's sold into the slave market, he could be thinking, where are you, God? Or when he's framed by Potiphar's wife, he could be asking, where are you, God? When he's spending these long years in the prison falsely, he could be again asking, where are you, God? Well, God's right there. Because this is what God is doing with Joseph. God is filling Joseph with himself, with God. God is making Joseph a God-centered man. God is fitting out Joseph to be a man and a leader that he's destined to be to play his part in God's grand story. You see, what God has done has ordained all these situations and circumstances of life to shape Joseph's life in maturity, to grow him, to fit him out. And through this, God is revealing more and more of himself to Joseph each and every time through these desperate situations and through these desperate times. And the end result of all this is that Joseph is becoming a God-centered man. Joseph's life is becoming all about God. Joseph's life is all about God and his purposes. For Joseph, all of life is about seeing it through the eyes of God. How can I honour God in whatever situation I'm in? How can I glorify God in whatever I'm facing and dealing with today? And that's actually what life is all about, if we truly come to discover who God is. Life is all about God. And when we discover that life is all about God, viewing this world and living this life through God, and commit ourselves to that, here's what we discover. We discover a very fulfilling, satisfying and joy-filled life It's a life that is larger than you can ever imagine because you have a whole new view and vision of this world when you see it through God's eyes as our creator and our sustainer. So Joseph's journey here, long, hard and difficult, is all about becoming a God-centered person and a God-saturated man, fitted out to carry out his purposes here to lead and to save his family and the nation of Israel eventually. Joseph's next step here in God's story comes in Genesis 41, sitting in the prison so long, interpreted those dreams and forgotten about. But the next step we see here in Joseph's life is a a deepening, as it were, of the convictions of who God is in Joseph's life. Uh, God gives some pretty crazy dreams here to Pharaoh, the supreme ruler of Egypt. We see that in in, uh, 41. Uh, The first dream here is like seven fat cows uh, feeding on the grass beside the river Nile. And then along come these seven skinny cows 
And they, as it were, they eat up or they consume these fat cows in this dream. Sometimes dreams aren't crazy like that. But the skinny cows, after consuming the fat cows, remain skinny. They haven't changed. He wakes up and he says, what, what's all that about? Then he has a second dream. Seven cobs of corn, juicy plump corn standing on a stalk. Then comes along seven drained, withered cobs of corn, withered by the east wind, and they swallow up all this plump corn, but then this withered corn just remains exactly as it is, withered, dried out, even after consuming those seven plump corn. Pharaoh wakes. He's absolutely disturbed by these dreams. He can't find anybody to interpret them. All of a sudden, the cupbearer, it's an our heart moment. The lights come on. Oh, that's right. That young Hebrew guy back in the prison. I need to tell Pharaoh because he actually interpreted our dreams. He tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, bring him in. I need to know what's going on because these dreams are disturbing me. Joseph comes in and he hears the dreams and he proceeds to interpret these dreams for Pharaoh. The seven years, or the um, seven uh, fat cows and the seven plump pieces of corn uh, is like seven bountiful crops that are going to come. Seven years of bountiful crops, bulging crops, big crops, bumper crops. And the skinny cows and the withered corn is like the seven years of desperate famine and drought that will follow immediately from those years of plenty. And Joseph says to Pharaoh, you need to uh, prepare now by storing up a portion of these crops from the good years so they can carry the nation through for the lean years, for the drought years, for the famine years. Now, there's some really powerful things here that Joseph is saying when he actually speaks to Pharaoh in this. And what we actually see here is a revelation of this rock-solid and deep conviction that Joseph has in God. Now, it's like this. If you look at Pharaoh here as he's telling Joseph these dreams, we see Joseph's response here in verse 16, which is a very telling point. So verse 16 says this, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favourable answer. What's Joseph saying there? Nothing special about me. Nothing special about I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm just an ordinary run-of-the-mill guy. I've got no powers to give you any interpretation of these dreams. Pharaoh, it, it's God who grants these interpretations. It's not in me. It's not about me at all. Actually, it's all about God. What's God been doing? I'd say he's been working within Joseph, an attitude of humility. There's no powers about me. It's actually all about God. Through all the highs and lows of life that Joseph has been through so far, God is shaping humility within Joseph to actually see that life is about God and it's not about me. It's producing a beautiful attitude there and conviction here of reliance upon God because that's what humility is. It's saying, I can't do this. I'm humbly saying that it's not me. It's about somebody else. It's an acknowledgement of who God is. And what God has done in Joseph's life, not once, but time after time in Joseph's life. Here's another picture we see of these convictions of Joseph as well. It's mentioned three times. Verse 25, verse 28 and verse 32. And we'll pick it up in verse 25. It says this, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The thought there as we pick up these common theme between these three verses is this, what God is about to do. 
You'll see it three times in those three verses. Now, this may seem insignificant to you. Isn't that just a bunch of words in a sentence? Does that really mean much at all? But if we begin to understand who Joseph is saying this to, it carries a whole lot of significance in those words there. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Pharaoh. Who's Pharaoh? Pharaoh is the supreme leader of the world's superpower of the day. Who's Pharaoh? Pharaoh is actually regarded as a god by the Egyptian people. He's literally worshipped or or deified as their saviour and as their immortal leader. You've only got to go to Egypt and see those pyramids there where they actually show the worship that they had for their pharaohs. Who's Pharaoh? He wields unrivaled power in their kingdom. He's seen as sovereign. He's seen as the one who calls the shots around here. Nobody tells Pharaoh what to do. So think about what Joseph's saying here. But this is what he this is what Joseph's saying. He's saying, Elohim, or the supernatural supreme being of the universe, the Hebrew God, not the Egyptian God. God is telling you, Pharaoh. You're not telling God what to do, Pharaoh. God is telling you what is going to happen, what his plans are. Now, if you think about that, that's an act of courage on Joseph's behalf. The Hebrew God is not recognised by the Egyptians. It doesn't even rate on their scale of gods. It actually is nothing more than piffle. The Hebrew God, who the heck's the Hebrew God? He's nothing. He's nothing compared to the powerful Egyptian gods. But what do we see there at Joseph? He's not ashamed to identify with his God. He's not ashamed to own up to who he worships. Joseph isn't overwhelmed here by Pharaoh's court, by Pharaoh himself, and the position of power that Pharaoh has. He's not there to toe the party line just to sort of stroke Pharaoh's ego. He's there with conviction. Joseph boldly confesses the one true God and his sovereignty with courage. He's telling you, Pharaoh, what he's about to do. That's a glorious conviction. I'm encouraged by that. I'm inspired by that. It's, it's a belief, as it were, in the glory of God's supremacy over Pharaoh, over his kingdom, actually over the whole universe. And it's a conviction that's anchored deep in Joseph's soul. doesn't matter who he stands before. doesn't matter who he's got to face. doesn't matter who he's got to talk to. He's got a conviction of who God is. And he unashamedly confesses his God. What's Joseph doing? He's filling himself with God. He's becoming a God-centred man. Joseph sees all of life through the lens of God. As our creator. As our sovereign ruler. As our sovereign Lord. As our sustainer. As the one we owe to every breath, every beat of our heart. To this glorious God. Joseph is developing a worldview and mindset here that sees God's imprint upon everything. Even today, as we see the change of seasons and a warm day comes, we understand it's God who's made the sun. And he's placed that sun at exactly the right position in this universe so that it's not too hot and it's not too cold. Joseph recognises that. And he worships a glorious God. Let's not forget, though, where Joseph is when these convictions are shining strongly in his life. Where is he? 
He's in a foreign, godless country. Joseph has no family structure to support him. He's got no family there to actually sort of back him up and encourage him through life. He hasn't got that. He's isolated. He's alone. Joseph doesn't have a Hebrew community to to connect with to actually encourage his faith. He doesn't have that. And he's just spent the last 10 years in prison. So he's not doing this sort of, you know, in the, the high points of life. He's growing and developing these convictions here in challenges. There's plenty of stuff in Joseph's life right there. There's enough there actually to dampen and quiet the best convictions in anybody just going through those sort of things. But he's growing his convictions. He's deepening his convictions as God fills the life of Joseph. And you see, this is the wonder and the grace of who God is. He fills us with himself. The presence of God transforming Joseph into a God-centered man enables him and equips him to carry out the purposes that God has called him to, no matter what's happening in his life. That's encouraging. It's inspiring. And there's a real sense here, I think, as we see Joseph, that he, that he clung tightly to God's word in his life. Now, he would have known about the faith of his great-grandfather Abraham and his grandfather Isaac and his father Jacob that was handed down from generation to generation, this faith of who Elohim is, the Hebrew God, the one true God. He's clinging tightly to that. Joseph also had the dreams that God gave him. He's clinging tightly to that as well. And I think in all these things, God's kept him and grown and developed these deep convictions of faith through these promises. Let's look again as we think about Joseph and where he's at and what he's going through. Uh, Later in this chapter, he begins to taste the success and the power and the affluence of his new position in the Egyptian government. Pharaoh actually places uh, Joseph as second in charge because, Joseph, you're such a great guy at interpreting these dreams. I want you to manage all the harvest. I want you to manage all the storage. I want you to take 20% out of each year and you put that in at all these cities around Egypt. So he actually goes to this position of power and he tastes success power and affluence but he doesn't forget God look in Genesis 41 50 to 52 you see here at this particular time they are still in the times of bountiful crops Joseph has been given an Egyptian lady to marry they have two sons but notice their names here they're both Hebrew names Manasseh means God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. And Ephraim, God has made me fruitful or blessed me in the land of my affliction. Joseph could have easily chosen Egyptian names for those two boys. That would have probably fitted in really well with the culture where he was living. But it's a picture of his convictions. It's a picture of the way God's filling Joseph here. He chooses Hebrew names again as a witness to the God that he serves. Now, sometimes, well, not sometimes, often, living in blessing is the hardest place to keep our convictions going. Because when we live in blessing and everything's just sort of rolling on and it's all great, it's surprising how we become so self-reliant and not God-reliant. Because everything's just falling into place for me. Everything I touch turns to gold. In Joseph's case, that's exactly what was happening. But even in this time of affluence and prosperity... Joseph is able to cling on to these convictions and work deeply here to uh, show God through his life in every possible way. What's God, God, uh, what's God done? He's taken Joseph on a journey here of probably more setbacks 
than positive steps forward in life. If you look back over Joseph's life, it's probably like five steps backwards, one step forward in his life. Joseph had plenty of reason, plenty of times when he could just call it quits and just walk away from all this. But he hasn't. He stayed true. He's fulfilling the role that God has destined Joseph for. As we think about that today, how do we see life as it unfolds before us? Do we maybe see ourselves somewhat like Joseph? Or maybe sometimes are we thinking, are we just bumping along from one situation to another, thinking this is all happening by some sort of random chance? I'm not not sure there's anything out there. I'm just sort of going from one bad luck story to another bad luck story. Is it like that? Or maybe you've given God some thoughts early in your life and then when times do get difficult and tough, you just walked away. Actually, God, you weren't doing what I wanted you to do, so I just left you high and dry and I've just done life on my own terms. You may identify with that today. Maybe the first time you've clicked uh, clicked on with us uh, at Exchange on the YouTube. We're, We're glad you have. We would say welcome, welcome if you've done that. Let me tell you that God is real. His word is alive, it's living and it's active. Despite how it may look in your life and how it may look around about this world, God holds this world in his hands. He truly is sovereign, he truly is supreme. In the times of pain, in the times of despair, in the times of guilt and shame, what is God doing? He's calling us back to himself. He's calling us back to come back to our creator, to come and receive forgiveness, to come and receive healing and restoration in our lives. We're not bumping along from in randomly from chance to chance in life and there's no sort of plan here. It may look like that, but that's not who God is and that's not what God is working in our lives. If you're a believer in God, you need to think like this, that he's taking every circumstance we experience to continue this character transformation in our lives. There are no wasted circumstances in God's ways with us. Nothing is wasted. No situation, no circumstance is just a total waste of time with God. Look back on your own life and you'll be able to see God's perfect hand working through all those situations. You can't necessarily see it in the middle of it, but if you look back, you actually can see God's hand working through all those circumstances, all those situations, changing us shaping us, deepening us in himself, building us, recreating us into the image of Christ. And our response is so, so important. I often hear people sometimes in, these, in the hard times of life, you know, uh, I'm just going to get angry at God. I'm so angry at him. Because you know, he's supposed to work things out the other way. He's making all these wrong moves in my life because it's not working out the way I planned it to be. That's not our response. That's not Joseph's response here. Our response is a humble submission to God who perfectly knows what to do in our life. And he's taking all those times to produce that humility with us and that trusting relationship with him as well. And just like Joseph, as he clung to the promises of God in these desperate, desperate times, so must we. So must we. We must cling tightly to the promises of who God is. Work hard at believing who God is. That is, the, that is the great, as it were, fight of faith in our lives. 
is believing who God is and working hard with the Spirit there to trust in those promises and to see our lives become God-centred, God-saturated. That's our challenge. That's our difficulty as we do that. Everything within us and around about us in this world is, is pushing back against us. But as God is wanting to have us trust in him through those difficult times. Because he's shaping our character. He's shaping and deepening our convictions and growing them stronger each day as we go through those things. And this is the greatest blessing that we can receive. To become a God-centred person. To have a life that is absolutely centred around who God is. It's not about my agenda. It's not about what this world is doing. It's about who God is and the way he shapes my life and then helps me to shape my agenda to follow his. And you see, God-centred people who are being saturated by this glorious God are the sort of people who can transform communities as we live out this gospel, as we live out this uh, truth of who God is. And that really is who God has destined us to be. Perhaps not so much second-in-command people like Joseph of running a nation or a country, but God has destined us here to be God-centred people to transform the community that we are in, to transform the world that we are around about, the world that we are living in, the connections that we have. God-centred people who lovingly and patiently serve those other people around about us, seeking to be a gospel influence wherever we are using all those situations and circumstances that God's leading us into to work in that way to honour and glorify God. And that's who we are at Exchange Church. Uh, We are longing to be a community, transforming a community around about us, using every situation that God's taken us through and shaped us in to be that same community transformers through the life that God is now living out through us. We're longing to build that here at Exchange and I'm glad to say that we are doing lots of that and seeing much transformation take place in people's lives and not only that transformation in transforming communities but knowing God's blessing and joy as we do that as well. Do you know where it starts? Do you know where it starts? It starts with Jesus Christ because it starts with him because he is the most God-centred man alive. Perfectly God-centred man. And as I was reading through Genesis 41 here, I saw a, a real parallel here to Joseph and to Christ. In Genesis 41:55, it says, uh, Pharaoh says to the people as they're looking for grain and they're looking for stuff to feed them, he says, go to Joseph, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. And that reminded me of the very same thing that took place here on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is up there with Peter, James and John. And then God speaks to his son Jesus Christ and he says this in Matthew 17 verse 5. He says this, He was still speaking when, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. A real parallel there to Joseph except that Christ is the greater Joseph. He is the Messiah to come. God says, listen to my son. That's where it starts to become God-centred people. Uh, Growing in character, growing in convictions, filling ourselves with Jesus Christ so that we can be people who can transform this community around about us so they too can know this glorious saviour that we know. Let me pray.
Father, we thank you today as we just look at uh, Genesis chapter 40 and 41. We like to see, we love to see the, the way you're working through Joseph's life. Lord, we, uh, we look back and we admire, Lord, your amazing sovereign plan and purposes as you are pulling all these things together. Uh, Lord, we see a whole range of situations and circumstances that Joseph is going through. And Lord, there would be lots there that would just cause despair and questions and doubt and confusion. But Lord, we thank you that you enable Joseph to continue on in perseverance, to cling hold to you and to trust you through all of those challenges. And to see that through that, Lord, you were shaping his character and you were deepening and growing his convictions in you. Uh, Lord, I pray today, please help us to see that in our own lives. Lord, when the challenges that we find ourselves in cause us to question or doubt, I pray, lead us to cling tighter to who you are at those times, to dig deeper into your promises, Lord, and to live those promises out through your indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit. And I pray that through that Holy Spirit, you would grow us in great joy as we see Christ growing within us. But Lord, as we see these things of the world trying to crowd out our agenda and trying to confuse us as it were, we ask and pray, God, that you would enlighten our hearts and minds to be set free from these things. And that liberation would produce, uh, Lord, peace and joy within our hearts as we seek and as we follow you. Please help us to persevere in that, Lord, I pray, and to become the people you want us to be to be people who influence and transform the community around about us. Help us to be committed to that today, I pray. And Lord, I ask and I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm happy if you have any text questions to take those. Let me just um, see if anything's come in. If not, that's okay. We'll just give you a... You guys can come up and take your place if you want. We'll be doing that. That's an email. That's not a text. That's all right. We'll wait. True, there is a bit of a lag period there in there, Jack. We just like to provide an opportunity because sometimes, hey, a thought comes to somebody while they're there and, hey, what does that mean? Can you just clarify that a bit more? So we are working with a bit of a time lag here, so we'll just wait a fraction longer. Last time we did this, as I was about to sit down, about six questions come in. Today it looks like that's not going to happen. Brilliant. Okay, guys, if you do have any questions or you did want to actually contact me about that, you can go to the email, info at exchangechurch.org.au. Again, if you've clicked on for the first time, we would love for you guys to connect with us, so please, please feel free to do that. Uh, We would love to hear your story and uh, connect with you in that way. I'm going to hand back to our team now, who are going to lead us in a couple of songs to finish. Thanks, guys. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people to Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 